Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this week's podcast, we are finishing up our sermon series called In Transit. Now, being in transit means that you're on the move or that you're just passing through or that you're going across. So in this series, we've been exploring biblical stories about people who are on the move or just passing through or going across. So over the last few weeks in this series, we've explored the story of Daniel, and we've seen that if you're faithful to God, that God will remain faithful to you. And we've explored the story of Abraham and learn that we'll never be in the right place until we're where God wants us to be. And last week we explored the story of Jeremiah and we were reminded that God wants to always be our God, even during our times of transition. Well, in today's podcast, we're taking a closer look at the story of the disciples on the day of Jesus's ascension, a day where the disciples felt a little ill-prepared for their future without Jesus, a day when they wondered what they were supposed to do next. So let's get right into this week's sermon, and we'll see what the disciples learned to help them move forward during their time of transition. Chris Hogan, who is a best-selling author and a retirement expert, shares a story in his book entitled Retire Inspired about the first time in his life where he truly appreciated his mother's cooking. Now, as Chris tells the story, he says, when I went off to graduate school in Pennsylvania, I knew one of the things that I was going to miss the most about home was my mama's chili. Mama Hogan was an unbelievable cook, and her chili was simply amazing. So when fall arrived and the weather cooled, I decided that I was going to stop on my way home from class to pick up what I thought I needed to make some of her chili. So I ran to the grocery store and I grabbed a basket full of ingredients. I got back to my apartment and I began cooking right away. I was boiling, I was stirring, and I thought everything was going to be just right. I couldn't wait to get some chili for dinner. So a couple of hours later, I I poured some into the bowl. Man, I had been waiting for this all day long. I took a big steaming spoonful. I closed my eyes and I tasted it. And then I ran right over to the sink and I spit it out. It didn't taste like chili at all. Now, I might have made a, a recipe for some brown glue, but it definitely wasn't chili. And it was in that moment that Chris Hogan truly appreciated his mother's cooking. But that's not the only thing that happened to Chris Hogan in that moment. You see, right after he spit that brown glue tasting, sorry excuse for his mama's chili, out of his mouth, Chris Hogan had what I like to call a so now what moment. A so now what moment is a moment when you find yourself ill-prepared for the circumstances that you're in. And we've all had these so now what moments, these moments where we find ourselves ill-prepared for the circumstances that we're in. We've had these moments when we've gone back to our car after a trip to the grocery store, when we've climbed inside and we've turned the key and the engine just won't start. So we get out of the car, we pop the hood, and we're looking underneath of it while the ice cream is melting in the trunk all along the way. And we've stood there looking down into the engine of the car, wondering, so now what? We've had these moments when we've gone on a dream vacation, and we've safely arrived in our final destination, only to learn that our luggage didn't make the trip with us. And we think about the possibility of spending an entire week in a tropical paradise without a change of clothes or a drop of sunscreen 
we've all wondered, so now what? We've had these happen on the first night when we came home with a newborn baby and we just couldn't figure out how to get our little bundle of joy to fall asleep. We've had them when our kids start calculus in high school and we can no longer help them do their homework. We've had them when the whole family is on their way over for Thanksgiving dinner and we accidentally burn the turkey. We've all had these so-now-what moments in our lives, and that includes me. Now, I remember one of those moments happening to me during my freshman year of college. And at the time, I was attending a church right on the corner of campus with several of my friends who were also studying religion. And since all of us in this group, we dreamed of growing up to become ministers, we liked to try to dress the part whenever we went to church. So every Sunday morning after I rolled out of bed, I would go over to my closet and I would start by picking out my clothes and I'd go and I'd find the perfect tie because that's when I thought ministers had to wear ties. And then I would pick out a shirt to match the tie and then I would go back to my closet and I would take one of the two suits that I owned out of my closet and start getting ready. But on this particular Sunday morning, when I walked over to my closet and I pulled that suit jacket off and I put it on my arms and on my body and I went... To get it buttoned up, something terrible happened. One of the buttons popped off. And I did, at that point in time, I did what any 18 or 19-year-old would do. I walked over to where that button rolled, I picked it up off the floor, and I put, stuck it back on me, because I thought somehow that the threads that were no longer holding it would magically wrap back around the button, and I would be good to go. But you know what happened when I let go? The button fell back on the floor. So I had to improvise at this point, so I bent down, I picked up that button, I walked over to my desk, and I got some of the uh, scotch tape that I had sitting on my desk, and I tore it off, I wrapped it around my fingers, I stuck it on the back of that button, and I stuck it right where it goes on my jacket, and then I headed for the door. But before I even made it to the door, the button fell off again. So at this point, I was running so late that I decided I just took the jacket off, laid it down on my bed, and I headed church. And since I was running so far behind schedule along the way, my friends and I weren't able to talk about my missing suit coat until we were on our way back over to the dorm later that day. And when we were walking back over to the dorm a little bit later on that day, one of my friends' responses to my particular predicament pretty well sums up the way that all of us felt. When I told them that the button had fallen off of my jacket, the seam had broken, the thread was no longer holding it, he looked at me and he said, man, that's too bad. That was a nice jacket. The button had fallen off of the jacket. It's not like I had ripped an arm off on a nail or I had thrown it into the washing machine because I was a college kid and didn't know how to do laundry, so it shrunk two sizes. The button fell off. That's it. But none of us knew what to do. So when I made it back to my dorm room and I held that button in one hand and I held my jacket in the other hand, all I could think was, so now what? And I think that Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, had one of these so now what moments for themselves in the aftermath of Easter. In the aftermath of Easter, right after the women have found that the tomb is empty, and we, as readers of the story, we found out that Jesus is no longer in this borrowed tomb, but he is alive, he is risen. Well, in the Gospel of John, or John's biography of Jesus, we find that the disciples, that they are hidden away, 
behind locked doors because they were afraid. And you can just imagine them in that situation looking around at each other, going around the room asking, so now what? And then you know what happens next in the story? Next, Jesus appears to them. Jesus appears to them and he shows them that he is alive. He shows them that he is still active. He shows them that he is still at work in the world. And he reminds them of what they have been called to do. He reminds them that they have been called to follow him. And he encourages them, even while they're still trying to wrap their minds around everything that's just happened, Jesus reminds them of who they are and encourages them to keep following him. So, a little bit later on in the story, when Jesus is about to ascend into the heavens 40 days after the resurrection, you would think that the disciples would now feel pretty confident that they know what to do. I mean, for 40 days, they've had a chance to see Jesus. They've had a chance to visit with Jesus, to talk with him, and to learn what they're supposed to be doing. Just like you would think that a 22-year-old starting graduate school would be able to cook a pot of chili for himself, or that an 18-year-old starting college could manage to put a button back onto a jacket after it popped off. But man, you would be wrong. And if you will, if you'll go ahead and grab your Bible with me and turn to the book of Acts, I'll show you what I mean. Now, Acts is a book of the Bible that tells us how our faith in Jesus, how it grew and spread throughout the, the, the early decades of the church after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. But this morning, I want to start with that first story, the story of his ascension, and I want you to pay attention to how the disciples act in this moment. So we'll start reading in Acts chapter 1 with verse 1. This is what Luke, the author of the book of Acts, writes. He writes, Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything that Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said to them, This is what you heard from me. John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now pay attention to what the disciples do next. While Jesus was going away, as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes came and stood next to them, and they said, Galileans, why are you just standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, well, he will come in the same way that you just saw him go into heaven. So in this story, the disciples, they're with Jesus, and they've been with Jesus for the last 40 days since his resurrection. They've been sharing meals with him. They've been asking him questions. They've been listening to Jesus teach. And you get a feeling when you listen to the beginning of the story, the disciples, that they expect that Jesus is just going to be with them forever. 
As a matter of fact, that's why I think that they ask if he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel now. They think that Jesus has come to be there forever. You know, it's kind of the same way that kids feel about their parents. We sit down and we share meals with our parents every single day, and we may have conversation, asking them questions, listening to their answers, but we don't really pay attention to what's being said because we think that they're always going to be there, and those conversations will always happen. But then, Jesus wasn't there anymore. Jesus ascended into the heavens to return to the right hand of God, and the disciples are left alone. And did you pay attention? Did you hear what the disciples were doing? They were doing what every one of us would have been doing. They were staring. Dumbfound, I'm sure, jaws dropped. Like, what's going on here? And then, as they're staring, in that moment, eyes to the heavens, jaws down to the ground, they have to be wondering, so now what? So now what? The Jesus that we've been following for the last three years of our lives, the Jesus that we've just spent the last 40 days with after the resurrection, is gone. So now what? Where does that leave us? I think it's the same way that Chris Hogan felt while he was standing over his failed attempt at chilling. He had no idea what he was going to do next. So as he goes on to tell it in his book, he writes, I had to call my mama for some help. When she answered the phone, I told her, I said, Mama, I tried to make your chili, and I could just hear the pity in her voice. What happened, baby? She asked. My chili's broke, Mama, I explained. I mean, it is absolutely disgusting. I don't even think the dog will eat this chili. Mama thought it was hilarious. She had to have laughed for at least five minutes over my broken chili. But eventually, she asked me to go and get a pen and a piece of paper, and she walked me through step-by-step her recipe. And as it turned out, I had missed a few really important ingredients in my chili, including the chili powder, But the next time I went to the store, I had that list of ingredients I needed to make her chili. And when I came home to cook, I had a better idea of the entire process. I knew about the the ingredients that I needed to mix together. I knew when to add each one, how long to boil, how long to simmer, how long to keep the whole thing covered. So my next attempt at chili, well, it didn't come out perfect, and it still wasn't exactly like my mama's chili, but it still tasted pretty good. And you know why? Because I knew what to do. I had a recipe. I had a plan. So Chris's mama came to the rescue in this story, and she helped her son figure out his so-now-what moment. She walked him through her recipe, and she made sure that he was now prepared for the next time that he wanted to cook a pot of chili. And something similar happened to me when that button popped off of my jacket during my freshman year of college. Now, I didn't call my mom to get sewing tips that day, because I was 18 and independent, right? But I did remember what my mom used to do when she sat down with her sewing box in our living room. And I tried my best to remember every detail along the way. And she always started, of course, with a needle, so I knew I needed to go and get a needle. And then there was always the thread, so I knew that I had to get the thread. And then I had paid enough attention to know that you take the needle, you poke it through one side, go out the other, come back through it, and just follow that process over and over again until the seam, the stitch, is strong enough to hold. And I was even smart enough to look at the other buttons to figure out what pattern to follow along the way. 
so that's what I did. I went and I tried to follow in my mama's footsteps. I went to Walmart because I didn't have a needle or a thread, and I bought a needle, and I got some thread, and I even made sure the thread matched, as a matter of fact. Not everybody would have done that. And then I went back to my dorm room, and I sewed that button back onto my jacket. And I'll tell you what, it was far from the prettiest stitch that has ever been made in the history of the world, but you know what? That button stayed on that jacket. It worked. And it was because I remembered what my mom had taught me. And now, even all these years later, I'm still the one that sews buttons back on in the family when they fall off. So... Uh, just like Chris Hogan with his broken pot of chili, I didn't have to figure out my so-now-what moment on my own either. My mom was there to help. And you know what? Jesus' followers, we don't have to figure out our so-now-what moments on our own either. As followers of Jesus, we don't have to figure out our so-now-what moments on our own either. Like in the story that we just read about the disciples. Yes, in this story, Jesus had just ascended back into the heavens, but the disciples had spent the last three years of their lives following him. They sat at Jesus' feet as he taught them about the kingdom of God. They watched as Jesus performed miracles that gave glimpses of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. They were there when he was crucified. They saw him when he was raised from the grave. They knew what they were supposed to do after Jesus left because Jesus had already told them what they were supposed to do. So even as the disciples were standing there that day, staring with their eyes toward the heavens and their jaws down on the ground, they already knew the answer to their so now what moment. The disciples knew that they were supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. And you know what? That's exactly what the disciples do. That's exactly what the disciples do. They stop staring at the skies, they stop wondering, so now what? And they go. They go. They go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. They go as far west as Rome and as far east as India. They go as far north as modern-day Georgia, the country, not the state. And they go as far south as Ethiopia. And when they go, they make disciples. The book of Acts goes on to tell us that after one of these disciples, Peter, who was probably the closest to Jesus. After Peter preached his very first sermon, about 3,000 people were baptized that day. And they were added to this new, growing church. And they didn't stop. The disciples didn't stop with just baptizing. The disciples also started churches in every city and every town that they ministered in. And even after they left these cities to continue to go and spread the word of Jesus, to go and make disciples... They didn't leave these people on their own. They continued to reach back out to these churches that they started to teach the people there everything that Jesus had commanded them. And they did that by writing letters, many of which make up a portion of our New Testament today. But what's all of this got to do with us? 
what is cooking chili and sewing buttons and so now what moments have to do with us? Well, right now as a church, we're living in one of these so now what kind of moments. We've found ourselves in a situation that we all feel a little unprepared for. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to find ourselves in the midst of a major transition. It won't be long before somebody else owns the property that we're sitting in and we start renting space here to meet for a while. And as we think about that, the prospect of leaving behind the sanctuary, the place that this congregation has worshipped in for nearly 20 years, it can feel a little overwhelming. It can leave us wanting to stare at the sky with our mouths hitting the floor. It can leave us all wondering, so now what? So now what? How are we supposed to move forward from here? What are we supposed to do next? Well, the good news is we don't have to answer those questions on our own. Just like Mama Hogan was there to help Chris Hogan figure out how to make a better pot of chili, just like memories of my mama was there to help me determine and learn how to sew a button onto a jacket, God is here to help us. God's here to help us through our so-now-what moments. And whenever we wonder what's next for our church, God wants us to hear the exact same thing that the disciples heard from Jesus. What are we supposed to do now? We're still supposed to go and make disciples. That mission hasn't changed in more than 2,000 years. That's what the church is and will always be about. It's not about where we worship. It's not about what our building looks like. It's not about whether we rent it or whether we own a property. We as a church exist for one reason, and that's to make disciples. We exist to make disciples. And that is never going to change. So that's our so now what. We are supposed to go and we are supposed to make disciples. So let's remember that. Above everything else that may be happening and going on in our lives or the life of this church, we, we exist to make disciples. And that is something that we can do no matter where we are. It's something that we can do no matter what transitions we face. It's something that we're called to do, always. Let's pray together. God, you know that we as a church are living in one of these so-now-what kind of moments. We're living in a time that we feel ill-prepared for, and we don't really know exactly what to do. But God, your call for the church hasn't changed from the beginning of the church. We are here to make disciples. We are here to help people grow closer to you. We are here to help people grow deeper in their faith and their love for you. So God, let us remember that no matter where we may be, no matter where we may worship, our calling never changes. We are always called to make disciples. And we always will be. 
So God, help us to follow this call. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this week's sermon podcast. I hope that no matter what transitions you may be facing in your life right now, that you've been reminded that as a follower of God, you are called to help other people grow closer to God. Now, next week, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons called Out of the Darkness. In this series, we're going to be exploring the story of the Exodus, and we're going to see how the people of Israel faced the darkness of their time in slavery in Egypt. And we're going to learn from their experiences how we can face the darkness in our world today. Now, that episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I just want to remind you that we are not supposed to be only hearers of the word. We are also supposed to be doers. So this week, go and be a doer of what you have just heard. Go and find a way that you can help somebody else grow closer to God and grow in their faith. Now we'll see you back here next Tuesday for another episode of our sermon podcast.